And I got fired from most of those jobs because I literally hated them. And at the time, because I was undiagnosed and I didn't realize the role that ADHD played in it and how important it is to do the work that you are attracted to and you enjoy doing at that point, I blamed myself. I thought there there might be something wrong with me, right? Welcome to The Digest, the podcast where we get real about diversity and inclusion on the ground, looking at the stories and the journeys of activists and allies in the DNI space globally. My name's Helen Maguire. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Diversely, and I'll be talking to all sorts of characters from around the world about what they're doing in the DNI space and their journey to get there. Shell Mendelssohn is our next guest on the Digest, and Shell spends her time these days in coaching others with ADHD to help them to find their perfect career. It's something that she started out doing over 13 years ago now. So she's been in this space for a very long time. But her own diagnosis with ADHD was fraught with struggles and disappointments and frustrations throughout her career journey. It's quite an inspirational and also quite a heart-wrenching story. But for those of you who are in this position or think you might be or think you know somebody who is, there are some great insights here. Let's dive in. Shell Mendelssohn, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. How are you and whereabouts are you in the world? I'm doing great, Helen, and thanks for having me. I am in San Antonio, Texas. Okay, okay. So you're yeah. at the opposite, literally at the opposite end of the clock to me. So thank you so much for making the time. I'm going to dive straight in and just ask you to give us a little bit of an understanding about what it is you're up to at the moment. Well, what what I'm at, up to at the moment is doing of course, my masterclass, which is the baseline for working with me. So anytime anyone says, oh, I prefer to have individual coaching, I say, well, the baseline is to to do the masterclass, which is a small group kind of setting, taking them through the process of uncovering, unlocking, if you will, their career path over a period of eight weeks. And I'm working on my book. <laughs> and that is just about ready to be released. We're in the cleanup process right now. It's agonizing and it's exciting at the same time, but so much as you can imagine. Have you written a book, Helen? I'm actually halfway through or just over halfway through. So yeah, mine, mine will be out very soon. So you know the process. It, oh yeah. It's not as easy as people think it is. Just Absolutely not. There's a lot of back and forth, that's for sure. And just to give everybody a little bit of context, it's been a long journey for you to get into the space that you're in. And that space, as you just showed us with the book, but unfortunately people are not going to be able to see that on the podcast. Okay, they around, can't see it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes, don't worry. Okay. It's around ADHD for adults yes. and for those getting into their careers and yes. for those that have perhaps had a late diagnosis as you did. Can you kind of take us back a little bit? Because, you know, your journey into this space was not easy and was also probably a little bit unexpected from your side, as it is for many adults who were yeah. late diagnosed. Let's go right back here to your school days and how that was for you. We're really doing a rewind here, okay? <laughs> yeah, so when I was in my 20s, I had a bachelor's in communications and I had a teaching credential and I was working as a legal secretary and I got fired from most of those jobs because I literally hated them. And at the time, 
because I was undiagnosed and I didn't realize the role that ADHD played in it and how important it is to do the work that you are attracted to and you enjoy doing at that point. I blamed myself. I thought there there might be something wrong with me, right? And I was very fortunate uh, to realize I had, well, I think the, the crowning moment for me was when a boyfriend who was applying to all the law schools, the top law schools in the country, and he was neurotypical. And I watched him throughout this whole process do the applications. Everything was very methodical. The way he did it, he was very organized. And he he ended up getting into Yale Law School, still practicing, you know, has an unbelievably successful practice to this day. But what he, I remember him sitting me down and saying, because I was so frustrated. I could not believe what he was doing. Honestly, I was just enamored. He was so clear about what he wanted, so clear. And he just looked at me and he goes, what do you want? What do you really want to do in your work? Simple question, right? But how many people listening have asked themselves, what do I really want? Not, you know, what can I go for that I will, you know, I'm qualified for, or, you know, my degree, what will my degree get me even if the degree isn't the one that you particularly enjoyed. None of those questions. Just what is it that I personally want? And I knew that I wanted to help people. And that was such a simple answer for myself. But I also was drawn to getting a counseling degree. So I applied to all these counseling programs and I was finally accepted into one that was unique. It was in vocational rehabilitation. And I struggled through that, struggled a lot through that, even though I knew it was something that I really wanted in the end in order to do the work I wanted to to do. And at that time, I was very keen on just being a professional. It was Mm. really important for me to be a professional, to wear the suits, to have, you know, do the whole have the whole look and the whole feel of being a professional because I had been in a one down position for so long. And I suppose two questions here. Where did that drive come from to want to be a professional? Was that something that came through your childhood, your parents, your education, seeing people in that space? Where did that come from? And secondly, what were the struggles? So you mentioned that your boyfriend at the time was very methodical. Was that one of the kind of jarring issues between wanting to be a professional and yet not being able to quite kind of focus and stick to this methodical track? Like the whole idea of profession, being a professional was kind of like this idea I had in my head. Of It was more of an idea. And I think it just came from feeling in a one down position, even though I knew I was smart and I knew I had a lot going for me. And here I was having to take orders. I'm t- I was tired of taking orders from people. Tired of people who, who were young, immature, being my bosses and telling me what to do. I mean, I just said, okay, I want to be one of you. It just kind of, it, I wanted to turn things around and have more, con- basically have more control. I think that was it. And I think a lot of people with ADHD can can relate to not wanting to take work for bosses who don't treat you that well or basically see you as a, in a one down position, don't really treat you like an equal. You're just like the help, right? Yeah. A lot of people, I'm sure, experience that. And even though I knew I was smart, I had degree on degree already, and I was already prepared to do professional work. I just, when I got my teaching credential, I decided I didn't want to be a teacher in the public schools, but I knew I loved teaching. So there's a whole story behind that that I won't get into, but I'll tell you the trajectory to getting my uh, counseling degree. And then 
going into the career aspect of things, which voc rehab, it was vocational rehab. So it was vocationally oriented. I think it was just not wanting to work for other people. You know, I want to be the boss. I think that's kind of what it came down to. So you kind of had something of an entrepreneurial bent, I suppose, Uh, you know, an inkling that perhaps you needed to do something for yourself rather than being on this kind of educational or career driven track. But obviously that was in the in the professional space. And where did those struggles come from? Just now, I suppose, from your perspective of someone who's been diagnosed with ADHD, how would you kind of typify those struggles? I think I was rebellious. Uh, How was I? I felt very, I was rebellious. I would, and this is what I tell people when they're in the wrong position and maybe they are, they're just beginning to understand the diagnosis because I wasn't diagnosed for maybe mm, 30 years later. Mm. I was far from being diagnosed at that point. However, I made little mistakes. I got fired a lot from those jobs. I think I got fired from maybe 10 or 15 jobs, Uh, which I know people can. And so you can imagine how that crushes your ego because it's not like I couldn't do the work. Yeah. I had the skills to do it, but those weren't the skills I particularly wanted to use in my primary work. The skills I prefer to use are my teaching skills, my, you know, so many of the other skills that I use now that are so important and what I teach, obviously, what I help people to to discover. Uh, but at the time, it was just literally the opposite. Yeah. And it wasn't until I, when I got into grad school and I went back and one day a week just to make money, I worked in a league as kind of a temp legal secretary. And I, I, I was fine with it at that point because I knew it was a means to an end. Mm. I didn't get upset when I was there. I knew that I was just doing a job And I needed to do a good job at that point. So I had a little bit of a a mind shift around it. When you know it's a means to an end and you're onto something better, it really kind of takes the edge off, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You'd got to this point in your life, I suppose, where you'd had quite a few missteps. As you say, you know, various jobs had not worked out for you. You had several degrees. You were moving into the space of kind of coaching and training. And then you went ahead and set up your own practice in your own business. Tell us a little bit about how that went. Yeah, that's moving a lot ahead. After I got my degree, I I worked actually for the company I did my internship with and worked for two different companies. However, within the, I want to say something about what it was like in my work situation at that time, because they were very independent. I was really my own boss working for someone else because I had to get my own clients. I had to, I was able to use all of the, everything that I had learned in grad school. So I was actually learning, getting a foundation for being able to go off on my own at that point. And then when I finally did, my next step obviously was not to become a supervisor or a manager or anything like that, but to just literally have my own business. Yeah. And I was excited. I got that's when I really got excited. This when I started my own business. And I just did the same work. I was literally doing the same work. I still had to, but I got paid a a lot more. Obviously, I was on my own. I there was no middle person anymore. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was kind of when I, I guess the tipping point was when my boss in the second job, who I admired greatly, he was kind of a, a leader in the, the field. And when I told him I was leaving, he just kind of went, why? 
was just this really sad kind of thing. And I, it kind of sh- took me aback because yeah. I said, well, you remember when you started your company, would you have wanted to be a manager for someone else? And he goes, no. And he said, he let me take my cases with me so that I could start my own thing. He totally got it. And during this period, you know, you obviously took to the work that you trained Mm. for and you were really enjoying it. When you moved into working for yourself, explain to us a little bit about what that business did, what it was about and what you were trying to achieve. So I was working as a vocational rehab counselor in the state of California at the time when it was mandatory for when a person was injured on the job and they could no longer do that job, their employer had to refer them for vocational rehabilitation counseling. And that ended, by the way, in the state of California. And I could foresee that. That's when I started making my shift to getting the training with Richard Bowles. However, at the time, the work I did was carrying on what I, I was doing before was actually helping people find work within their physical limitations and sometimes emotional or psychological limitations. So I, at that time, I worked with people with ADHD, but I was not always aware of it. The diagnosis mm-hmm. wasn't even a thing at that point. That's how long ago it was. Yes, when dinosaurs roamed the mm-hmm. earth. And <laughs> so I really enjoyed that for probably, I did that work for 10 years until I didn't. And then I started realizing I don't like working with all these entities and this bureaucracy that I have to work with the attorneys and the the state and having to write these long reports and having to keep track of all my time and because it was billable hour kind of thing. And it was, I made quite a bit of money during that time. It was great. And then it started moving towards the state got a hold of our, our ability to charge what we wanted to charge and we could no longer, we all had to charge the same amount. And that was right. when I, I realized, oh my gosh, my it's not my own anymore. I'm not my own. You know, even they're starting to take, they are starting to take control again. And I think that's where my ADHD kicked in, my rebellious mode. And I also saw that I no longer wanted to work in this adversarial kind of system where the people came in and they were angry and they were upset and they were in a lot of pain because a lot of times they had uh, orthopedic injuries and were taking pain medications. And it was very much, we did some good, but I don't think overall we did a lot of good because they really didn't want to leave their job. So there was Mm. this kind of pushback situation. So I decided I just want to work with people who really did want, you know, really motivated to make a, a shift of some kind, general population. And I had always loved Richard Bowles. I had always loved the What Colors Your Parachute process. Tell us a little bit about that for those who, who are not aware of, of his work. Yes. That book is is uh, quite seminal and been around for many, many years. Many for years. For those who are not in, in your space, what is that approach about? That approach is about taking all the elements of what would make up one's ideal work with the idea of you're going to do something that you enjoy this time. But in order to do that, you have to know who you are at a, at a deeper level and what your preferences are. So it means breaking things down to what are the skills you love using? What types or characteristics of people do you enjoy working with? What are the working conditions that are most important to you and the subjects that you're drawn to? What do you, you, you drawn to, which is kind of not the way the world of work operates in general. I like to say that 
we've been propagandized for so long to just do what we have to do out there to make a living, make a good living. Some people are motivated by money, but people with ADHD generally are not motivated Mm -hmm. by money. I think a lot of us are very purpose-driven and being motivated by money is not sustainable in terms of really enjoying the work, you know, and keeping it going over a period of time, unless you're obviously, you know, going for a larger position or owners of a company or shareholder or something like that. But people with ADHD, we are very purpose-driven as a whole, as a community, which means that we have to believe in in something. And going to work every day in a soulless kind of situation. I've had a lot of people who've worked in those kind of environments and they start to recognize how much their environment has created their unhappiness, often their anxiety. Yeah. You know, I'm not a doctor, so I don't, We and I'm not a therapist, so I can't diagnose people on that level, but a lot of people come in and I would say most of them have some form of anxiety. Yeah. So that seems to be very prevalent today. And I know a lot of it has to do with just the kind of stress they're under when they go into these soul-crushing kind of situations that don't fit them. And I always say, look, it's not you. You're just in the wrong job. Mm. And and I guess that kind of relates back to, you know, your own experiences, obviously. The fact that you could be so empathetic towards someone in that situation. Yes, yes. And so you went through the training with Richard, and I know that that must have been incredibly intense and, I suppose, exhilarating for someone in your position as well. Yes. How did you use that to move things forward for yourself, and what did it reveal to you? I went through the process myself twice, and and I was very reassured to see that career counseling actually came out as the top area, it reaffirmed for me what I was doing. Yeah. Because I thought, well, am I going to come up with something different? And if I did, I wasn't worried about it. I just thought, well, gives me more options, right? But it really was the top thing. It was very reassuring and confirming. And often people will, they will go through this process only to to realize or be reaffirmed that what they're doing is a good thing. Yeah. And that's a great reason, especially if you're feeling doubtful for any reason. You just maybe need to make a few tweaks. It reaffirmed to you that you were on the right path. So where did you take those learnings? And at what point, I suppose, did the notion of ADHD come up for you? Where I took it was it became my, the process that I, the only process that I've used with people ever since. And there was a reason I was attracted to that process. I'll go back to the process and then talk about the ADHD part. But there was a reason why, because of the breaking down part, Mm. that I needed things, I needed to understand at all levels why I was, first of all, attracted to what I was doing so that I could impart that to other people. And it was just this is it also has to do with why I think it works so well for people with ADHD down the line because it was attractive to me. And I know that as a voc rehab counselor, I had to give a lot of t- a lot of those assessments, you know, the Myers Briggs, the Strong Campbell, the Raven. Oh, that's what they called them at the time. And I had to give a lot of those assessments, but I could never see the purpose in it. And it always annoyed me for some reason. I always thought this isn't really getting to 
It's not really helping. There was one, I think the it's called it was called the Raven. I don't know if they still give it, but it's for abstract reasoning. And that one clearly denoted when somebody was technically oriented. It was a very clear indication that other than that, some of it kind of helped. But the reason I realized in the end it didn't work for me was that assessments use when they ask questions, they're based on the way other people answered and compare your answers to those people instead of you delving into yourself and mm. what is important to you. So it's other oriented instead of a deeper dive into who you are. And I didn't recognize that until later on. Why don't these things resonate with me? Well, they actually never did. I just had to do them in my work. It was one of yeah. those I have to do kind of things in voc rehab. So I said, this is the process that takes all of that off the table. And now you are really looking at who you are and what is getting in the way at this point. What's getting in the way for a lot of people is what Bowles calls the safekeeping self. And that's the part that the coulda, woulda, shoulda, all the voices that come in our head that say, is this, should I answer this way or should people are really reluctant to even answer questions for themselves that will keep them authentically who they are because they yeah. think if they answer it, it's going to take them in a direction that they're not going to get a job. They're not going to make enough. They have all these thoughts about it. And I always say you can't rig the system. There's no way you have to be authentic. <laughs> so as far as my own diagnosis, that came after I got away from doing the work I love because I started a company called Kids Art. It was a franchise system. It came to me in, you know, as a download, which many of us with ADHD have those. You will recognize it when I say it because we have these ideas all the time, these creative ideas. Most of the entrepreneurs out there, I'd say a lot of them have ADHD. They're the, we're the movers and shakers out there, right? We're the ones that create the products and the services. That was what happened to me when I woke up one morning with the idea of a children's art. Not necessarily a franchise. I didn't know how, what form it would take. It was just I wanted to empower people to have an art business because I was so attracted to the art world and my son was very artistic. And they were, mm. they were taking art programs out of the schools. And so some of it was a little bit of being angry about that, which, you know, a lot of things get created out of anger. Yeah. You know, and that was actually that played into it quite a bit. So I started it and over the year, I started pulling it together. And of course, the dopamine where as <laughs> I'm going to credit Lynn who I'm now training to do. She's the first person I'm training to do the class. She's, she uses the term, follow your dopamine. I love that term. And uh, I started to, you know, that's what we do when we're really excited about something yeah. and it becomes kind of a do or die thing, right? So I, yeah. I created this franchise system that was actually very successful and I helped, I brought everyone together I work with other people. It wasn't just me, obviously. I had a team of people that I work with, all neurotypical. Okay. And once we got to the point of the day-to-day, -day, that's when I should have had a plan B to get out. 
yeah, we're not meant, the founders and the creators are really not meant to be the operators or do the, the day-to-day business, the managers. I yeah. didn't know that. What did yeah. I know? I was still undiagnosed at the time. Right. And I, I didn't understand that. And for a few years after that, I remained in that position and it was disastrous for mm. me personally. It was dis- I was not happy and I brought that with me. I have a lot of karma to deal with to clean up because I'm sure I wasn't very pleasant a lot of the time. And I was dealing with uh, with neurotypical people who didn't have that big picture thinking going yeah. on. So I was always seeing what needed to get done. As you know, I was seeing what needed to get done. And I was always up against roadblocks. And yeah. it just was frustrating. It didn't enjoy the work anymore. And I was no longer doing the work that I loved doing. So it didn't end well. That's all I'm going to say about that. It did not end well. And in that ending is when I literally went crawling over to the bookshelf. I had a book that a friend of mine who's a therapist sent me two years earlier that I had shoved into a drawer because it was about ADHD and adults. And I just said, what, are you kidding? And I, I didn't pay attention to it. And then after that happened with kids art, I literally went crawling to the bookshelf, put my hands on it and, and read. And that was the first time I, I finally, the light bulb went off. But you know, we all have the light bulb. Yeah. How did that feel, I guess? I mean, you know, you'd had such a sort of long and winding journey, as I mentioned in the introduction to get there. And these incredible sort of highs, I suppose, and also these horrible lows to the point where, as you say, you kind of lost a business that you really loved and created and put your heart and soul into. Oh, it was trauma. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was traumatic. Do you blame... I guess there's kind of, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? You could blame ADHD for the loss of that, but equally you credit it for the creation of so much of the good stuff. Yes. And also it wasn't all me, obviously. I put a lot of blame on myself for my own experience and maybe how I was with my team and everything and the frustrations I had. But I was with the wrong people. Mm. I was no longer with the people that I needed to be surrounded by. I was no longer doing what I enjoyed. But the idea of it was very successful. I'm proud as, I mean, I can't tell you how proud I am to have created it. I was the inspiration. I was the person who came up with not only the idea of it and brought it together. If it weren't for me, it would not have happened. That I understand. So I'm happy about that, you know, and it's helped. It went international. So it was very, you know, in 39 states and 16 countries when I left. Yeah. And I saw everything decline after I left. So I know that I was a big part of that. And I know that if I had enjoyed doing it, it would, I would still be there, but Mm -hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't. And I went back to doing what I love. So when I had my first client, I just started working with a client. It was like, a breath of fresh air. It was like the world was starting to come back to me. It was really, it was like the weight was lifted off my shoulder. So even though I lost my position in the company, I basically was, it was like a weight lifted. Yeah. It felt good. (laughs) I guess in terms of the, you know, the diagnosis itself, where did that point you? And what was the personal impact of that? Well, 
I got the diagnosis after reading the book. And so for me, I kind of self-diagnosed as a lot of people do mm. in the beginning. And then I went and got the diagnosis, which is what I always recommend because mm. it just solidif- it solidified it for me. And it made, you know, then I got more inspired to read more, to get more connected. And my decision at that point was to work with nothing but people with ADHD and career change. That was when I made the decision. Because I saw, I thought, look what I went through. Oh my gosh, how many other people are going through this now? And it became just kind of a mission at that point. <laughs> I realized we need help, and people all over the world with ADHD who are in these jobs who are who cannot understand how to to make a change. You know the things they need to consider before they make the change, and none of this stuff is taught. It really yeah. isn't taught in this way to really break it down very specifically and to it may be taught on some level through a course that ran a random course but yeah. in my opinion it should be mandatory yeah i think yeah to be able to recognize adhd in somebody else because it's not i mean it's not easy to recognize it in yourself right but it's really hard to recognize it in in other people yeah. because it can come off as you say as kind of rebellious behavior or difficult behavior or a lack of focus or an over-focus on things that perhaps another person doesn't see as important, whatever. You know, I've spoken to a number of ADHD people on the show and they kind of say what you say, that that diagnosis and that official diagnosis is the point at which things start to make sense. And you can move forward from that point and create a world, a job, a life, whatever it is that works for you and also makes things easier for other people around you, I think. Now that you're kind of deep into this work, your book is 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 out. And we'll put all of the details on the show notes for that so that people can get hold of it. Can you give us a few insights into what you'd recommend somebody who's in your position or perhaps thinks that they might be ADHD? How can they start to approach this to improve their career progression and, and choices? Well, work with me for one thing. Get the book is <laughs> another. <laughs> no, I mean I not I can't work with the whole world. That's why yeah. that's why I did the book, is because the book is kind of a legacy and it really does follow the work I do. It, almost to it. I've made it so that it actually does follow everything that I do. But we all know that doing a book, just reading a book isn't always gonna do it or even going through it on your own, especially with ADHD. So I I recommend that you work with somebody else for accountability. You set up regular times to meet and things like that, you know, and for people that want the deeper dive, of course, they're going to want the masterclass. And that's Mm. the deeper, deeper getting coaching, getting further explanation and being able to meet up with other people. But I, I would say, how do you do it? Well, you think of it in terms of Number one, if you're in the wrong job, just understand and you're miserable and things are happening that are ADHD related, that you're making mistakes, you're job hopping, you're all those things that are associated with having ADHD and and work that you start to recognize that it's not you, you're just in the wrong job. Mm. So what are some of those things? Because as you say, there are probably so many people out there who are still undiagnosed. Mm. So, you know, if you have a suspicion what are some of those things that you mentioned? You mentioned kind of job hopping. You mentioned, you know, having a, an aversion to being managed, let's say. Are there other things that people could could look out for? That's a pretty good start, Ellen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think how you feel in the work that you do every day. Do you look forward to it? 
when you're in the right environment, it's the kind of environment that you want to go to. Yeah. And you want to be connected with, right? And it has to do with the the right culture and the right personality types and things like that being. So when you're in the wrong environment, it can be, like I said, soul crushing. And you could end up, a lot of people are in these performance improvement programs, PIP programs. That's when you know you're in the wrong job and you need to start looking for alternatives and get out right away. I say don't wait. Okay. Get the hell out because it's that's even more crushing. Also, job hopping, that's just you're not satisfied. You can't figure out what you want to do. You get bored easily. You don't like the tasks that you're doing. You make little mistakes, mm. even though the job is not difficult. It has nothing to do with the difficulty of it. But if you don't like it and you're bored with it and you've got that rebellious thing going on, you're going to make little mistakes along the way. People listening know exactly what I'm talking about. They could mm. be ones that you just go, what? I didn't even know that was happening. Yeah. I had no idea. He did that. It couldn't be, you know, when I was doing secretarial work, which I hated, it would be making not the wrong copies, you know, making more copies, less copies, not collating things correctly, (laughs) things like that, where you're just not paying attention. There's so many things, how you feel. And this is a feelings process. So how you feel on a day-to-day basis is something to check in with, you know, is this inspiring me or deflating me? And in your experience, is there a kind of typical work environment or industry or role that works better for those with with ADHD? You know what? It's interesting because people, it's like there's no top 10, what are the best jobs for people with ADHD? That does not exist. That is, anytime you see anything that says, here are some things that people with ADHD enjoy. I don't want to say don't read it, but I almost want to say don't read it because Really, it's when you look at what your own personal interests are and who you are, it's different for everybody in any any kind of work mm. will fit, but it has to be the right fit on all levels. And we're just as diverse as everyone else. Mm. Our interests are just as diverse as a neurotypical yeah. person. I mean, there's no difference, really. So when you're looking at what it is you should be doing, what you're interested in is what you should be doing. What you're attracted to is what you should be doing. What gives you energy, what makes you feel whole when you're you're in the right environment. It feels more like home, like home away from home. And if you're working on your own, you're creating that environment for yourself. And you're working, you've got the working conditions that you need. You've got the equipment you need. You've got the environment, how Mm. it looks. There's so many, I break it down. We break it down a lot. So it really gets broken down. So, okay. And I guess from an employer's perspective, then, you know, you mentioned the kind of the environments and the working process and so on. What can they do from their side to make things better for those with ADHD so that they're not being lost from the workforce and job hopping and struggling in that sense? Or, you know, for for many neurodiverse people ending up in even worse positions, you know, outside of work full stop and and in, you know, a a really quite um, desperate environment. So what can workplaces do to encourage and help and support? those with ADHD? Well, 
One of the things they can do if they really, really, truly are interested in helping people with ADHD is to not label them, to get away from the label. Because the label, it doesn't sit with everyone. Some people make assumptions about it. Uh, this person's easily distracted. You know, they they really, it doesn't sit well for people once they've exposed their label to their company. Okay. So I... I very often, what I promote is self-accommodation. So you have to learn what you need first mm. before the company. And that way you can you can explain to the company when I have these things, when I'm in this kind of situation, or when I have enough time to, when I can work on this kind of thing, be able to articulate what their needs are. So that's the first step. The employers really just need to be listening. Mm. to that, to what they need. And if they value that person, I've had plenty of employers send them to the class, to the master class, because they recognize that this is a valuable person. We don't want to lose this person, but they're not happy in this job. What's the lateral position they can take? Okay. And let's explore some of that. And that that's worked out really well. That's amazing. And I think because it feels a little bit like the onus is all on the person with the condition, right? And yeah. that feels a bit unfair in today's society. You know, you wouldn't expect that of somebody, let's say, with a physical disability to build their own ramp to get their wheelchair into work, to put a very yes. sort of blunt frame on it. You know, so exactly. it's amazing that you're finding that some companies are actively and proactively doing something to keep these talented employees and recognizing that they have specific skill sets and, you know, really amazing, yeah. as you say, the bigger picture thinking and whatever that, that they can bring to the table. But I guess it also requires a bit of, it requires a safe space. It requires for that business to ensure that there is an ability for people to disclose these things and that transparency is made important. Is that something that you've seen improve in the workplace? Have you have you worked with businesses that have, you know, actively put those processes in place? No, for, for I'm going to be transparent with you. I don't work with businesses. I work with individuals. Mm. But I mean, in your experience with, you know, with those individuals, you mentioned some of them yeah. have come in from businesses. So yes. what have they Mo said about those businesses? What, what's been the process there? Well, there are some that, there are a few, I would say maybe one out of, the six that I work with at any given time are really like their company and really don't want to leave and really actually are just looking for confirmation and maybe some tweaks along the way that they're doing the right thing. And this is that they have some doubts about it because there's some a few things that aren't working for them. And this gives them the language that they can use to uh, work with their employers. And so I, at one point, I worked with the ADDA, the uh, Attention Deficit Disorder Association on workplace, I don't know, the work the workplace, basically people in the yeah. workplace with ADHD. And they put out a, they were starting to put out this wonderful video that I grabbed and I, I hope they don't hear me. Anyway, <laughs> I have access to it. I just loved it because when you look at it, it explains the way a person's thought process is with ADHD in the work, you know, what they're experiencing at any given time. And I thought it was brilliant. I really did. And I thought this would be so wonderful for employers to see. Yeah. But true to form, it was a group of people with ADHD and that perfectionists. And I don't even think that 
video made it past. I don't think it's out there at all. Okay. So I guess just to finish off then, in that case, what did that video try and put across? What is it that was so brilliant about that video that you feel people should know? Well, first it gives a brief explanation of ADHD and it, then it talks about it's very positively framed in terms of what people with ADHD contribute mm. to the workforce. What kind of things does it run through, can, if you can remember? Yes. Oh, yeah. It goes through the work environment. It goes through what they're doing. It goes through what they're thinking at any given time when they're in the wrong environment or how things can be tweaked to make it a better environment for them. It gives employers a way to view things from the perspective of their actual employees. Yeah. That's what I like about it. It's like you get a peek inside their brain a little bit. And then it goes into how we contribute, the ways in which we contribute. And in terms of productivity and in terms of money in the end, you know, how much money you can save when when a person is in the right position and they're more productive. There's a lot of that in there. For me, when I work with people, I want people to understand what they want. So some employers might not like that very much if, you know, it's empowering the employee too much, then they can't, they aren't going to be as receptive to all the restrictions that they they have in their companies. But that's what I'm doing. And that's what I want. And in the end, it's going to end up, you're going to have people that love what they do who are going to be more productive. Yeah. So if employers are listening to this, then I hope they get that message. I really do. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you're right in the respect of the fact that talent will vote with its feet, right? And if you're not making these accommodations and you're not aware of, you know, what somebody with ADHD or who has neurodiversity condition requires in order for them to get the best out of their environment and to be productive and essentially to make you money, then, you know, you're going to lose that talent and that person and that your, you know, your workforce pool will be somewhat smaller, let's say. I really love that perspective and I wish you all the best with getting that message out there, both to those that you work with through your masterclass, through the book, as well as hopefully filtering back through to businesses so that they can make better decisions for their employees and for their future. So thank you so much, Shell, for taking us through your journey, the amazing work that you're doing now to change the game for those who've been in your position or who are in your position at the moment or figuring that out. And if Mm -hmm. anybody out there wants to understand a bit more about Shell's work and resonates with any of these points, then please have a look at the show notes. We'll put all of the information there about the book and about her classes. And hopefully we will catch up with you again and, and find out how things are going. Yeah. Next year, I want to do the virtual book tour. I think that's going to be my focus. Amazing. Yeah, well, we'll definitely shout about that once you do. So thank you so much for sharing and um, we will catch up with you soon. Thank you, Helen. It's been great. Thank you so much to Shell for all of her insights, her transparency and really her courage in getting into this space at such a late time in her life and now for over 13 years making such a huge difference for other people. If you want to get hold of her book then please head to the show notes and if you are out there thinking well you know I'm in a similar position I've had a tough journey myself and now I'm doing something to change the game for other people in the workplace then please reach out. You can 
reach me through LinkedIn. I'm Helen Maguire. Or of course, head over to diversely.io, which is now part of Access Volcanic, a place where inclusive recruitment is put at the very heart of everything businesses do. And you can check out all of our resources there around helping you to improve the diversity of your workforce and your inclusive recruitment processes. And I will catch you next time. See ya.